Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Later, we will conduct a question and answer session, and instructions will follow at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star, then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. At this time, I would like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Oh, thank you so much, and uh, I would like to also um, welcome everyone to our Cancer Care Workshop today. Uh, today's program is specifically for caregivers, and its focus is on coping with holidays and special occasions when your loved one has renal cell cancer. And today's uh, program is a collaborative effort between Cancer Care and many other cancer organizations. And, um, and we also um, have involved with us today the Kidney Cancer Association and the Kidney Cancer Canada um, also, both groups have really been very instrumental in helping to reach so many of you on the call today. Now, we have on the call today over 592 participants, and you come from all of the United States, and we also have international participants from Canada, the United Kingdom, and Venezuela. So it's a bit of a global call as well. Today's program was made possible uh, with funding and support provided by Pfizer, and I really want to thank them for their support, not only of today's program, but this was a two-part series. So indeed, this is part two of the two-part series. Um, and so um, I really want to thank them for their support. Now, we have wonderful speakers on our program today, and I want to actually begin by introducing our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Matthew Campbell, Assistant Professor, Department of Genital Urinary Medical Oncology, the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center. Um, and Dr. Campbell is going to ad address reducing complications of renal cell cancer during holidays and special occasions. Tips for planning ahead with your healthcare team for holidays and special occasions, and the important role of the caregiver. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to Dr. Campbell. Good morning. It's truly my uh, pleasure to take part in this, uh, this uh, call. And I want to wish everybody a very happy holiday season. And so today I'm going to be talking about kidney cancer, and I'll be saying kidney cancer and really referring to renal cell carcinoma. And so I wanted to first just give a brief overview of where we stand right now with renal cell carcinoma in terms of the, the therapies that we're providing for patients that have metastatic cancer. And so we've made tremendous progress. And you think back to 2007, there were really limited options in terms of outside of uh, uh, cytokine-based therapy, such as interleukin-2 or interferon. And now we have um, approval of eight agents in our country and about ready to have an additional uh, agent likely to be approved in the next six months. So five of these agents for kidney cancer are um, trying to target the VEGF pathway, and what that means is basically these cancer cells secrete um, some local factors that help blood vessels grow, and so these medications really are blood vessel starving medications. These are medications that some of, some of you may be on, and these include medications like Sutent and Votriant, Nexavar, Enlita, and Avastin. The side effects for these medications tend to be a little bit different, but there are some overlapping side effects, and I'd like to talk about some of those now because I think managing these side effects can really improve one's quality of life. And talking with your healthcare provider about trying to maximize any complications can really be beneficial. So common side effects for these medications can include some mouth sores, 
Normally, if I have a patient calling me that they're having discomfort in their mouth, I recommend that they do a baking soda and salt slushy mouth rinse. It's very easy to make. These are just um, a solution that you can make from ingredients in your cabinet. Uh, if that is not effective, we can certainly prescribe something called a magic mouthwash, which is just a collection of a couple of different medication that soothes the mouth. Other things that we look for are, are something called hand-foot syndrome. This is basically can be um, swelling of the palms and soles of the hands and feet. It can be painful. It can lead to cracking of the palms and feet. And normally, if I have patients that are going through this, I recommend using a urea-based skin cream, such as Eucerin, which is spelled E-U-C-E-R-I-N. And that medication, if you apply it three times a day, in a thick layer tends to help reduce that complication significantly. Other issues that some patients experience can be nausea. Sometimes this can be around the time of taking the medication, and if that's the case, I normally will prescribe an anti-nausea medication such as Zofran, also known as Ondansetron. And if patients take that around 30 minutes before taking the medication, that can be really helpful. Um, additionally, some patients experience either constipation or diarrhea with these medications. Diarrhea tends to be more common. And so with constipation, I think it's just important to have a little bit of a medicine cabinet available both with you and then if you're traveling. And so if you're one that's more likely to have constipation, having Miralax available or Docusate Senna are good options. I like Miralax personally because it's a medication that is very easy to rapidly adjust the dose depending on your needs. Um, in terms of diarrhea, Imodium can be very effective, and that's a medication that you can take um, up to eight tablets in 24 hours to help uh, with those symptoms, which tends to be more common with medications uh, such as Votrian. Um, there's other sneaky side effects that come up often with these medications, and that tends to be the chance that people just feel somewhat tired. And so the medications are largely given um, continuously, those Sutent is given either four weeks in a row with two weeks off or two weeks in a row with a week off. And most patients will have an improvement of their symptoms during the week off. And so um, what I tend to tell my patients with these medications, especially if they're going on a trip or they have the holidays coming up, we sometimes will consider taking a break over that period of time to see if we can just enhance their quality of life. It's a very fine balance between is the cancer itself causing a lot of symptoms that is being helped with the medication versus is the, the cancer itself not causing a lot of symptoms, but the medication is causing a lot of symptoms. Oftentimes, a weak break is not going to affect the rate of growth of the cancer and is something that can lead to a more enjoyable experience, and that's something that I tend to talk with a lot about with my patients. Moving on to other classes of drugs, two of them include um, Everolimus, which is known as Afinitor, and Temsorolimus, which is Torosel. These are mTOR inhibitors. These are basically one of the nutrient-sensing parts of the cell, and one of basically by blocking that, we're trying to, to take out the cancer cell's ability to obtain adequate nutrition. So these medications tend to cause, again, the fatigue they're, they tend to cause a little bit more of the mouth sores than do the, the other agents, and so that's definitely one where the salt and soda mouth rinse can be very helpful or the magic mouth rinse. 
Um, these medications can certainly cause blood sugar to go up, triglycerides to go up. And so if, uh, if a patient has difficult to control diabetes, this can make it more challenging. Um, and going back um, just to the first class of drugs I was talking about, one thing that I would note is that if you do take a break from the medication, these medications do tend to cause high blood pressure. This is actually oftentimes a marker that the drug is hitting its target. But sometimes patients have to be started on numerous blood pressure medications to get the blood pressure under control. And I think it's really important that if you are a person that's taking three or four medications and you do stop um, the cancer-fighting medication, there's a chance the blood pressure could be much lower. So monitoring your blood pressure when you're off of the medication makes good sense. And if your blood pressure, the top number is in the 100 to 120 range, it may make sense to talk to your provider about holding those medications over those days. The newest drug on the block is very exciting to all of us, and this is called Opdivo or nivolumab. And this is a drug that basically helps the immune system better fight cancer. The immune system, basically what ends up happening is the cancer cells are putting flags up that the nivolumab helps basically block, which allows the immune system to then start fighting these cancer cells. These medications, um, are, this medication is currently given every two weeks as an IV infusion. Um, we haven't studied it in other um, settings, but I, I do believe likely if, if it required you to take an extra week off uh, to travel, I think that would be very reasonable. What I would say, though, is if you did recently start Opdivo, you have to be very careful because side effects can occur very quickly. These can be an aggressive diarrhea that requires urgent um, evaluation in an emergency center. It can also be the development of uh, things such as uh, shortness of breath, which again requires evaluation in an emergency room. This is much rarer than with some of the other immune agents that are coming along, but these are important to know. And even if you're, you know, I would say visiting on the holidays, if you experience these symptoms, it does require emergent evaluation. I would say um, that really the key for planning ahead for the holidays is all about communication. And that communication comes from both talking with your physician do you have your adequate refills of your cancer-fighting medication? But do you also have adequate refills of medications for nausea, for pain, and for other things that you may require over the holidays that may be tougher for you to gain if you're leaving state or if, it's, if you're going to be having a more difficult time <coughs> contacting your physician if they're traveling or if their group may be closed over that period of time? Also, talking to family is very important so that they, you know, understand um, what you're likely going to be uh, planning on doing as well in ways that they can best help you um, over the holidays. And so, you know, I believe that cancer is a huge team, uh, team effort, and that involves the patient and, very importantly, their loved ones and in particularly their caregiver so that they are able to, to be able to come to appointments, so that if they are having symptoms, that they have somebody to help them and look after them, um, and to also have the reassurance that comes along with cancer. And so I, I really appreciate you know, all of you um, 
who are on the line right now, and I wish you all very happy holidays. I'm going to let some of our other speakers go ahead and uh, present their part of the talk, so it's, it's absolutely my honor. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Campbell. That was really excellent, and I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A, and thank you so much. Um, that wonderful overview and um, and really stressing some ways that people can um, things that people can do during the during before the holidays and during the holidays to really reduce complications. And our next speaker is Dr. Margaret Bevins. Dr. Bevins is a CDR United States Public Health Service clinical nurse specialist, program director, scientific resources, nursing research and translational science, nursing department, National Institutes of Health Clinical Center. Um, and Dr. Bevins is uh, going to address the role of the caregiver and its stresses, challenges in communicating with the healthcare team, and managing family, friends, and traditions while coping with special occasions and holidays. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to Dr. Bevins. Thank you, Dr. Mesner, for the opportunity to be on the call today. I'd really also like to thank all of you for coming to the call today and being participants as we talk about these really important issues. Whether you're a healthcare provider, person with cancer, uh, kidney cancer, or a caregiver of someone with kidney cancer, you recognize the importance of caregiving and you made the time to be on the call today. The caregiver is the person who is a friend or a family member who has actually stepped up to respond with a commitment to support their loved one. By reaching out today to learn more about the caregiver role, you are taking a significant step in coping successfully with this disease and its impact on your life as well as the life of those around you. As you heard from Dr. Campbell, the effects of kidney cancer can vary in intensity with a variety of side effects, and it really depends on the natural course of the disease as well as its treatment. This might mean that your loved one is at home with you at times, and they also might have times when they're in the hospital. Whichever place they are at a given point in time, you as the caregiver offer some very essential support to the person that you love. I'm going to describe three important ways that you provide that support. First, as the caregiver, you might offer what we call direct support, including the administration of medications, or in this case, tracking and managing the side effects along with the person who has can, um, kidney cancer. You might also be asked to perform care for an IV line or do a dressing change. This knowledge comes primarily from your healthcare team and might include a class for a new skill or review of a new medication with the doctor or the nurse. In all cases, being well-informed will help build your confidence as a caregiver and a sense of mastery, which will ultimately help reduce your anxiety as well as the anxiety of the person you're caring for. Second, you might help coordinate care and more generally just manage life. Specific examples of this might be transportation to and from appointments, communicating with other family or friends, as well as household maintenance. Roles and responsibilities among family members often shift in response to how your loved one is feeling. For example, doing the laundry or cooking the meals may be something you begin to do more of. This shift, however, can create more feelings of uncertainty, and sometimes that can generate tension or conflict. So talking about and negotiating these roles and responsibilities 
can help everyone feel good about contributing while reducing the burden to the caregiver. The third type of support is emotional support. And providing emotional support can often meet the needs of both the person with kidney cancer as well as you, the caregiver. While listening to your loved one, you might realize you share some of the same concerns. These concerns might be related to fears of the future or balancing expectations. Leaning on each other and sharing your worries and concerns can help you feel closer to one another and reassure you that you are not alone. Overall, providing support can create a level of stress that can sometimes seem overwhelming. Now, if you add to the stress that you're already experiencing as a caregiver, the normal chaos around the traditional holiday activities, things like family gatherings or gift buying, cooking large meals or other obligations, it might just seem unbearable. But I want to share a few tips with you today to help you cope with all these stresses, especially during this time of the holiday season. First, talk as a couple or a family and decide if you want to continue certain traditions or if you want to create new ones. Don't pressure yourself with unrealistic expectations or try to do everything yourself. Learn to say no. And remember, you don't have to participate in everything. Be selective. Friends and families will understand if you can't do certain activities this year and I'm sure they would be happy to help. Second, be creative and consider other ways to shop, for example, using technology. The Internet is a fantastic way to shop for foods and gifts without leaving the home. Another way to shop is to use catalogs that many of us get in volume every day. If you would like to still go out, because that can be very good for our um, positive well-being, make a list to guide your trip so you know exactly where you want to go and what to get. And the third point I want to make around the holidays is remember to take care of yourself. The holidays often bring many excesses. Some are good, such as family time, and some are not so good, such as lots and lots of food. Try and remember to eat balanced meals and make time for some exercise, even a walk around the neighborhood. Physical activity is a really good way to release tension. And don't overindulge in alcohol. Alcohol is a depressant, and it can bring out or sort of heighten some of those sad feelings. Focus on things that make you feel positive. Allow yourself some simple pleasures, a nice hot bath, an afternoon nap, or some of your favorite foods. And top it all off with a good night's sleep. Now, the support you provide will fluctuate over time. And this can create a sense of uncertainty, which is a normal characteristic of caregiving, but often makes the situation feel more stressful. Often caregivers will say, I wouldn't have it any other way, referring to their decision to be a caregiver for a loved one. And this fits with a lot of the studies where caregivers report benefits in their role, such as stronger relationships with the patient and a sense of meaning and purpose that stems from helping another person. That being said, it's important that you don't get overburdened or isolated. You are encouraged to accept support from others and even reach out for help. It may seem obvious when the intensity of caregiving is high, but when the intensity is less, you should take this opportunity to refuel 
and consider healthy self-care practices, building your own physical and emotional strength and resilience. Use your time wisely. And a critical component to help with many aspects of caregiving is communication. This is essential with the healthcare team, which you heard Dr. Campbell mention just a minute ago, family and friends. Communication, communicating needs to those who provide help and support is really important. Friends and families won't know what to do or what you are dealing with if you don't tell them. It can be hard to ask and receive help, but it's important to remember that often others are grateful for the opportunity to do something for you, and you make it easier for them when you are clear about what you or your loved one needs. If you feel guilty about receiving help, remember that you can always give back to others later when things are more stable and secure. And remember, during the holidays, people want to give you a gift. Accept their help as that gift. Use technology to communicate with your support systems, like email or social media sites, and there are many free websites for healthcare-related communications. Examples might be the practical assistance of picking up groceries, cooking, or serving as a chauffeur for a medical appointment. Another way to receive help is to spend time with a friend. Have a date with a friend, such as lunch or dinner, or take a walk together. Emotional support is also very important for your own health and developing resilience. The holidays often stir up emotions, even in the best of times. It's perfectly normal for caregivers to experience feelings of loss or sadness over how cancer has changed a specific occasion. You may also experience a wide range of other emotions, such as disappointment or worry about the future. And this is normal. Sometimes caregivers feel they have to put on a happy face so not to alarm their family or friends or loved one. Try not to hold in all your feelings. Talk about some of your thoughts and feelings with someone you trust, such as a loved one or a chaplain or a professional counselor. And finally, communicating with your loved one's health care team, which, again, Dr. Campbell did made a few very important points earlier about. Communicate with your loved one as well in advance and develop a shared perspective about your role in appointments or access to the medical health care team. If the appointment is a simple procedure such as a blood draw, that might be a good time to ask someone else to step in and help. If the appointment involves meeting with a provider to discuss information about specific treatment options, being there to develop a list of questions before the appointment and taking notes during the appointment can be very, very helpful. In summary, taking on the role of a caregiver for someone with kidney cancer can provide many benefits as well as challenges in your life. However, taking steps to communicate with others and avoid feelings of being alone working as a partner with your loved one, and building your own resilience will help you successfully adjust and cope. And be proactive with the added holiday stress and let the activities and the people who bring joy to your life be your priority. Thank you again for the opportunity to be on the call today. Thank you, Dr. Bevins, for being on this call on this wonderful presentation and what a wonderful way of positioning um, really being with others who want to be helpful to you and accepting that help. I just, um, and I hope that many of the messages that you gave resonate for our participants today. Thank you so much. 
and um, I know there'll be questions for you also. Um, and our next speaker is Carly, Ms. Carly O'Brien. Ms. O'Brien is an oncology social worker. She's our caregiver program coordinator at Cancer Care. Ms. O'Brien is going to talk about long-distance caregiving, caregiver self-care tips for managing stress, and the free psychosocial services that Cancer Care provides, including support groups. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my colleague, Ms. Carly Devins. Ms. Ms. I'm sorry, Ms. Carly O'Brien. Thank you so much, Carolyn. This is such an important topic and so timely. I'm happy to be a part of this call today. So I think it's really important that we all recognize that for a lot of people, caregiving comes in sort of untraditional ways. Lots of people with cancer have caregivers who happen to live far away from them, and we refer to these folks as long-distance caregivers. This is a term and an experience that can be unfamiliar and confusing, and I just want to take a minute to remind anyone who is fulfilling that role that you can be a meaningful part of your loved one's cancer experience, whether you live locally or are caring from a long distance. This does also come up around this time of the year with the holidays as the patient's caregivers may be traveling for the holidays or have other plans that might keep them further away from the patient. Caregivers who aren't local to their loved ones can provide a significant level of emotional support. They can be a listening ear. They can offer a sense of camaraderie and social support for their loved ones by phone, text, email, and Skype. Technology is definitely an advantage these days and can help a long-distance caregiver to feel connected and in the loop. Staying in touch and being emotionally available to talk about difficult subjects and to just talk about normal things often helps the patient to feel supported and can help the long-distance caregiver feel like they're contributing and being helpful. This layer of emotional support is often as helpful as providing physical care, so it's important to keep this in mind. The holidays can be overwhelming and can be different when cancer comes into the picture. This can be an isolating experience. So this level of emotional support from the caregivers is really important at this time of the year. Caregivers can help with many practical tasks on the medical side of their loved one's care, even from a distance. They can, as some of my colleagues have said, coordinate medical appointments and manage their records. They can get to know the medical team and advocate for their loved one's needs, regardless of their physical location. You might want to consider sending your loved one a list of questions that you have, especially things like my colleagues have mentioned, sort of how to manage the holidays with cancer and treatment and how to manage the impact of that. They might be able to discuss those questions with their doctors, and it might provide some answers or some clarity. This can help the caregiver to feel involved. It can get your questions answered. And at the end of the day, it reminds the patient that you're there for them. Long-distance caregivers can also help their loved ones with day-to-day things to help get them organized. They can help with some of the holiday shopping. Again, technology is a really helpful thing for online shopping and uh, catalog shopping. The long-distance caregiver can tackle some of that on their to-do list, especially around the holidays. They can also manage some of the household bills or finances, organize legal paperwork, and can direct them to resources and information about things like advanced directives, wills, and healthcare proxies. These are important things to help ensure that your loved one is being well cared for on all levels and across the continuum of care. 
a long-distance caregiver can also help their loved ones to enlist additional support. You can arrange for other friends or family to drop off meals or to coordinate transportation. You can also learn about local support groups or workshops that they can attend. People with cancer often rely on their caregivers to take on some of this legwork when they don't have the energy. And since these tasks usually just take a phone call or email, they're well suited for caregivers who aren't nearby. But long-distance caregiving can come with some challenges, and these caregivers often struggle with feelings of guilt and wish that they can do more for their loved one. So for all you long-distance caregivers, I hope you'll remind yourselves of all that you're doing rather than only focusing on what you can't do. Give yourself credit for the efforts that you've made and check in with your loved one to see if they have any suggestions about how you can continue to be helpful to them. And as the others on this call today spoke of earlier, remember to take care of yourself. Long-distance caregivers need support too, so reach out for a support group or contact a local social worker to help you make meaning out of your caregiver experience. We know that self-care is an integral part of the caregiver experience. In order to be a good caregiver to somebody else, you've really got to be taking care of yourself. This can be really hard in the midst of the holidays, which can be stressful enough as it is. So pay attention to your needs this time of year especially. You know that message that they reiterate on the airplane? You've got to put on your oxygen mask first before helping the person next to you? The same goes for caregiving. And when we talk about self-care, we mean both physical and emotional care. Focusing on both of these can help ensure that you're in a good place and are equipped to take on the responsibilities and impact of caregiving. Some of the tips that I offer to caregivers when it comes to self-care is to start with the basics. Are you eating three meals a day? Are you getting an adequate amount of sleep? Are you doing some kind of physical activity at least once a day? That might mean just a stretch at your desk. One thing that caregivers tend to find especially helpful is to start their self-care regimen with the idea of maintaining what already works rather than just adding lots to your plate. That can just leave you feeling more exhausted. We want to encourage caregivers to be sure that they're taking care of their own physical health by scheduling regular physical exams with their doctors and making sure that they're on top of any other follow-up care that they may need. Getting organized and keeping a calendar of your own appointments can help make this care a priority. And it's true that feeling physically healthy can improve your mood and outlook, so the benefits are twofold, both for you and your loved one with cancer. There's also this common misconception that self-care has to take a lot of time, energy, or money, but sometimes really all it takes is a bit of creativity. We know that you might not have an opportunity for a spa day or a vacation, especially during holiday season, but can you go for a short walk on your lunch break? Can you call a friend, journal for a while, schedule a monthly date night to look forward to? Self-care can even mean something as simple as taking some slow, deep breaths when you're feeling overwhelmed, spending five extra minutes in the shower, or going to bed a half hour earlier than you normally would. Being intentional with your self-care efforts can make them part of your daily routine and can make you feel better able to tolerate some of the challenges that come with caregiving and can ultimately help you manage stress. 
reaching out for additional support is another healthy way of helping you to cope with stress and to improve self-care, whether it's spending time with supportive friends or family members, connecting with a counselor or joining a support group. Feeling connected with others can be restorative and encouraging. It can also help you to feel less alone in your experience. When it comes to getting more support, cancer care is just a phone call away to help you navigate your experience. Cancer care provides a number of different supportive services to caregivers and people living with kidney cancer to help them manage many of the challenges described earlier. Cancer care has a staff of licensed master's level oncology social workers and all of our services are completely free of charge. We're experienced in helping people to manage the emotional, physical, and financial challenges that arise after a diagnosis and along the course of caregiving. Cancer care programs include individual counseling, support groups in the New York City area, as well as over the phone and online for clients across the country. We offer educational resources like the Connect Education Workshop that you're listening to right now, and we can provide information about other resources and how to navigate the healthcare system. We also sometimes offer limited financial help. We are clearly big advocates for the needs of caregivers, and as such, we have a robust and thriving support group program for caregivers. We offer a variety of these support groups for caregivers in person, over the phone, and online. Some of our support groups are focused on a specific cancer diagnosis that might have a unique set of symptoms, effects, or concerns, and others that are general for anyone who's caring with somebody with a cancer diagnosis. Our caregiver clients have shared that they find these groups to be really helpful and comforting. They really normalize the challenges associated with caregiving and give caregivers a dedicated space to explore their feelings about this role. If you're interested in participating in any of our caregiver support groups, please contact us at 1-800-813-4673 to talk with a social, work, social worker about finding the right fit for you. And while we might not be able to solve all of the problems that you're facing every day, a social worker provides a listening ear and the ability to support you as you navigate your experience. Lots of people find this to be reassuring and comforting. So again, Look at our website at www.cancercare.org or call us at 1-800-813-4673 to speak with an oncology social worker. Thank you so much for your time today. Wishing everybody a happy and healthy holiday season. Oh, thank you so much, Carly. That was really excellent and very comprehensive, and I know there will be questions for you during the Q&A as well. Well, now we do have time for questions. We actually have a lot of time for questions. I want to thank our speakers for making that possible. And I'm going to ask uh, Candace if she would explain to everybody how to queue up for questions. We're going to try to take as many of your questions as possible. And, of course, if we don't get your question, I will give you information at the end of the call as to how to get your questions answered after the call in the weeks ahead. Um, so, but we'll start now and see how many of your questions we can take. So, um, uh, Candace, if you could explain to everyone how to queue up for questions. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question at this time, please press star and then the number one key on your touch-tone telephone. If your question has been answered and you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking Ask a Question. Again, to ask a question at this time, please press star and then the number one key. We have a question for one of our online participants, um, and it's an excellent question. Um, it's um, I find it hard. Um, 
to let go. Um, uh, my wife is my very close caregiver. My mother also has been very involved. Um, and, however, it, it seems hard for them to talk about my condition, and they often talk about their own problems. So, um, and so it's, it, it makes it more difficult. So the question, um, I'm going to ask us, uh, Carly, if you could address that question in terms of um, the, this particular person really needing, so they are not a caregiver, but the caregiver, they're feeling that they have caregivers, but they are, um, somehow it's hard for them to talk about the, um, the cancer. So if you could say a word about that. Sure, that can be a really complicated experience. So we really want to encourage you to get the right support that you need. So it sounds like your caregivers are probably very helpful in a lot of other ways, but if they're not offering you the emotional support that you need or if you need a place to talk about what the relationship has been like with them, I would encourage you to speak with one of our social workers or reach out to a friend or family member who you feel is more able to or willing to have the kind of conversations that are most helpful to you. And can you talk about the role of support groups for people in terms of, well, you have already in terms of someone facing, is that a, a good reason to join a support group in terms of just not having anyone to talk to? Absolutely. You know, a lot of this comes up in support groups. Um, and other people who are not the patient often, quote, unquote, just don't get it. And so that's when a support group can be really helpful because many others may be experiencing some of the same challenges and having a place to put those concerns to talk with people who do have that shared connection and shared experience can really give you the level of support that you need. Um, so that's definitely a good opportunity to explore a support group. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I hope that's helpful. Um, um, from one of our other online participants, um, for Dr. Um, Campbell, should I get a second opinion before starting my treatment? So it's really coming from um, the person uh, with um, renal cell cancer, if you could comment on that. Yeah, and so I, I will fully disclose that I am slightly biased in this opinion because many patients that I do see in my personal clinic are uh, second opinion patients. Um, but I, I have expressed this to friends and family as well who have gone through loved ones with with uh, with cancer too. I, I think just feeling secure in the game plan and the opinion that you've had provided is very important. And many times I think that there may be options on the table that are available that may not be available in every location um, where you seek care. And so I think if it is possible, consideration of a second opinion is always beneficial because they may back up what you heard the first time or they may suggest a completely different game plan. Um, so uh, my, my personal bias is, is second opinions are often very beneficial for family and for uh, patients uh, to feel secure in the game plan that they've been presented moving forward. Thank you. I have a, an, another question. Um, uh, from one of our uh, participants, actually, um, from one of our online participants. Um, um, so I feel like family treats my spouse and I with renal cancer differently since the diagnosis, as if we're both fragile and sorry for us. As a result, there was so much negative energy at Thanksgiving. How can I help create a more positive atmosphere for the upcoming holidays? So I'm going to ask... Um, Dr. Bevins and Ms. Um, um, 
O'Brien to address this. It's an important question, actually, that people often feel this is not an uncommon feeling. So I'm wondering if, um, Ms. O'Brien, do you want to start first? And sure. You know, it is a common experience. To be honest, a lot of people are not sure how to talk about cancer or what it really means to them. A lot of patients feel that their loved ones are walking on eggshells around them and are treating them as fragile. So you're not alone in that. But this is where communication is really important. And I know that Dr. Bevins talked a lot about this before. Communicating about what kind of approach is most helpful to you, sharing that it's okay for them to ask honest questions and to have a frank conversation about things, if that's where you are, is more helpful to you than sort of tiptoeing around things. Um, often they're waiting to hear your cues. So this is a real opportunity, I think, for communication and, and honesty. And Dr. Bethany, do you want to add? Um... Well, I agree with everything that Carly said. And the other thing that came to my mind was that let the other family know how they can bring you joy. So when you're having the conversation, remind each other about the positive things in that relationship or the things that you did together in the past that are still important to you. So again, focusing on what brings you joy in the relationship and letting them be part of that um, in, so that they can feel involved in your care as well. Excellent. And there's another question here about, is there a group in my area to help me with makeup, dressing, to get back to looking pretty again, or help with outside looks so people stop looking? Um, and again, from one of our online uh, participants, and um, Carly, do you want to address this one? Yeah, so depending on where you live, there might be many options for that type of group or program. A lot of organizations do have either one-time or ongoing workshops that really focus on boosting self-esteem by helping you to feel your best, look your best, some places that provide um, support or makeup lessons. Um, one really good program that we're aware of is through the American Cancer Society, and it's a program called Look Good, Feel Better, very appropriately named. Um, and if you want more information or if you want help finding one of these programs in your area, feel free to call us at Cancer Care, and we'll help locate a program for you. Again, our number is 1-800-813-4673. Excellent. And then um, uh, we have another question from one of our on online participants. Um, we have a lot of on uh, really great questions from our online participants today. Um, so um, I want to stay active even though I'm undergoing treatment, but my energy levels are always low and I feel sluggish. What can I do to improve this, particularly at this time of year? So this is a general que particular question, but um, I'm wondering if Dr. Um, Campbell, if you could give some some ideas or to this um, participant and probably helping many people on the call as well in terms of um, just um, that concept of just feeling kind of low energy. Yeah. And I think this is a very common question that comes to me, and I think there's actually a lot of good literature that's recently emerged um, in regards to actually um, it's, it's a vicious cycle because I think if you um, are less active because you have less energy, it ends up producing additional low energy moving forward. And so they've, they've had a lot, a lot of recent literature looking at yoga and stretching type of exercises 
um, that basically are able to produce um, a combination of deep breathing, stretching, strengthening that can really be beneficial from a mood standpoint, from an energy standpoint, and uh, overall quality of life. And they've looked at this particularly in breast cancer survivors or women who have just undergone surgery and radiation or chemotherapy for breast cancer, and there are very clear benefits from taking this approach. And so I like to mirror what has been said earlier, where I think the combination of exercise, good nutrition, good sleep, and good sleep habits um, are going to be what, over a period of several days to weeks to months, are going to what's going to really trigger an improvement in energy. If all of these things are still not helping, I think the question then comes, is there a medication that may be contributing to this? Many patients are on medications outside of what they're taking for their cancer. Some of these can be anxiety medications like benzodiazepines such as Xanax or Valium. Some of these can be sleep aid medications like Ambien. And sometimes these medications can all interact together and lead to more fatigue. And so sometimes simplifying medication regimens Starting to do things such as exercise, diet, and sleep can really be beneficial in the long run in terms of improving energy levels. Excellent. That's so, so important. Thank you so much. And, um, and I guess that whole communication, could you comment about just communication with the healthcare team during this time of year, um, particularly during holiday times? People may, um, you know, they, often people may run into some complications or issues one would like to think it happens during the regular daytime hours, but often it does happen in the night. Or, what do most? What do you recommend for most of your patients to do, or to work out with their healthcare team, so they have access to someone if they really are running into some difficulty and need to either talk to someone or? Yeah, and so these are these are good questions. Because actually, working at MD Anderson, I take care of patients from all over the world, um, and lots of different regions within the United States, um, and different and. Um, it becomes an issue because, you know, certainly some patients are many hundreds or thousands of miles away, and what I tend to do with, with patients in that is, is have them find a trusted health care provider closer to home, um, which is often an oncologist but can also be a primary care physician. Um, but basically what we try to do is, again, communicate game plans. What are expected um, made, what are expected complications to happen as relation to therapy and then what are potential unexpected, really serious complications? And so I basically give very strict guidelines for what I consider are must-go reasons to an emergency center. And so for chemotherapy, it's if somebody has a fever uh, greater than 101 degrees Fahrenheit or things that are leading to dehydration um, or potentially sudden shortness of breath or sudden chest pain those are really potential big triggers that require urgent evaluation. I think having those discussions with with your with your doctor or healthcare provider up front and say what would what would you be worried about so much that I would need to go see somebody at three in the morning if this happened. You can't plan for everything, but you certainly can plan for um, the most common events that may be may be dangerous. We certainly at MD Anderson have a 24-hour call service where we have a physician available 24 hours a day. And most, most uh, community physicians have similar call practices where they're either being screened by a nurse practitioner than going to the physician. 
But I think if you're really concerned about something, calling one of these lines or just going directly to a hospital tends to be the safest approach. Very helpful. Um, thank you so much. Um, and we have a question now from Marlon, one of our online uh, participants. So holidays often bring up painful memories of loss and trauma that may lead one into depression. Often support groups are not meeting during the holidays. What resources are available for the caregiver and patient? These are really excellent questions, of course. And um, so I'm going to ask again um, uh, uh, Ms. O'Brien and uh, Dr. Bevins to address this. Um, Ms. Uh, O'Brien, do you want to start first with this one? Sure. I think sometimes looking for support from a few different places can be the most helpful. Um, you know, we know that during the holidays, sometimes support groups are not meeting. Cancer Care offers some online support groups that are usually available during this time. Um, there are always um, oncology social workers available on our hotline. The only days we're closed on the, are on the, the federal holidays. Um, so there's usually someone available during regular business hours on that line. But also um, finding a friend or a family member that you feel like you can be honest with who maybe doesn't have to say anything at all but just can be a listening ear, identifying those people in your support system and giving them a heads up that the holidays are a little bit difficult for you and do bring up some of these feelings of loss and trauma um, can be helpful so that they might be able to provide a little bit more support to you during this time of the year. Thank you. And Dr. Bevins, do you want to add anything? Or I think all of all of the points that Carly made are fabulous. I think the only thing that came to mind was um, one: if you find that journaling is something that might also give you an opportunity to express the feelings that you have, um, maybe not the only activity that you do to try to express those feelings, but that may be one way. If you feel, especially if you wake up at night and you're suddenly feeling a lot of emotions or things that are making you feel very sad, just picking up a pen and a piece of paper and just starting to write down your story and how you're feeling, sometimes that can help um, bring about um, a better place for you emotionally. And also if you have any experience or um, a therapist or a counselor that you meet with on occasion, maybe this is the time of the year to say, um, proactively, maybe I would like to get an appointment before the holidays get too busy so that you can have time to connect with them as well. Excellent. And I do want to just add that the American Cancer Society does have a 24-hour um, call center, um, which I believe does operate um, 365 days a year. You might want to call them and just double-check. They are one of our collaborating organizations. So I'm going to give you their phone number, but it's actually on all of our materials as well and in resources for you. But it's 1-800-227-2345. Again, 1-800-227-2345. So you might like to check them out and kind of be sure that when they exactly are open, both for any of the major holidays, and um, so that you have, and you can, and, and there are people that you could just really talk to. Sometimes there are moments when you just need to talk to someone. And I think Carly's point also of being a member of an online group, then you can post any time of the day or night, and you definitely will get there's other people on those on those groups that actually will post back to. You. And though all the groups that Cancer Care runs are professionally facilitated, so that you are having a professionally uh, a staff person you know, checking the posts, but you also have a, a, a really a group that's really very responsive to each other as well. So that's another option. Is that correct, Carly, or should, is that a 
correct? It is, it is correct. It's important to keep in mind that it, there's not always an immediate response, but the members of our online support groups do tend to take really good care of each other and are relatively active, and the social workers are reading the posts daily, so there is that support there. Excellent. Thank you. So there's a lot of, uh, there are things available, actually, even though it feels like, um, but I think, um, you know, Marlon, you raise a very good point that it, this is a time of year when many people have all sorts of feelings and it's important to get that support and even anticipation before the holidays. So that, and in some ways that's why we do this program um, as early into December as we can. Um, although there have been holidays, of course, throughout the year, we would love to do this program actually more frequently because there are all sorts of holidays and special occasions that happen, of course, throughout the year for everyone. Um, so that's just important to be aware of that. Um, and um, I have another question. Um, so um, I, I actually a question actually for um, Dr. Campbell. What can I do to stay as healthy as possible during my treatment period? So again, that's a kind of a general question. So I'm going to ask Dr. Campbell just to address it in a general way, hoping that you'll then take his information back to your treating healthcare team. But um, and it's it's been part of some other questions that have been asked as well. But nevertheless, it's an important it's an important question people often wonder about. But I think it it just bears back to again um, trying to be as active as possible. Uh, again, I think exercise is one of the healthiest things you can do. Trying to be, and when I say sleep hygiene, I think what that really refers to is is trying to do your best to have normal sleeping hours um, and trying to avoid daytime napping as much as possible. Um, I think keeping hobbies um, is very important, and and many uh, I think patients and their families have a great deal of enjoyment with maintaining normalcy by doing, nor by doing normal ho hobbies such as playing golf, going out with friends, going to dinners, going to see movies, um, just having um, normal things and enjoyment that are easy to accomplish on day-to-day -day things. I think also um, just making sure that you're eating a balanced diet Eating a balanced diet, I don't think that there is any great literature um, to date um, to say that there is one perfect diet in cancer, but I, I certainly think a diet that's rich in fruits and vegetables is one that's considered a very healthy diet, um, one that minimizes uh, fried foods, uh, one that minimizes, um, you know, a, a diet that's really swung one way or the other. I have a lot of patients come to me asking me uh, questions about alkaline diets and about um, other literature that they may see um, online. There's really not great information at this time to support any of the, the what I would call the fad diets um, outside of just what we would say is a good a balanced diet. Um, and then I, I, I think from my standpoint, um, you know, finding ways that you can have um, a good healthy stress relief, whether that's through exercise or through um, hobbies, whether it's through support groups, whether it's through counseling, those are really ways that you can maintain health during cancer care. Excellent. And we have a question from one of our, thank you, and a question from one of our caregivers, and one of our online caregivers. Um, how can I support my spouse who has renal cell cancer without saying something wrong that would upset, um, upset her more? Um, I'm going to ask Ms. O'Brien, and then I'll ask Dr. Bevins to comment on that. 
Sure. Well, first, there's no handbook when it comes to what the right or wrong thing to say is. Oftentimes, simply being honest, if you're unsure of what to say, can be really helpful. That way, uh, your spouse can really tell you what it is that they need and what's most helpful for them, rather than you guessing. This sounds like it's all new for you. So give yourself permission to make mistakes and to have a little bit of trial and error but it sounds like it's really important that you're thinking about what the best thing to do is and how to best support your loved one, and that intention in and of itself will probably go such a long way. Thank you. Dr. Bevins, do you want to add anything? Or? The one thing that I would mention um, and add to what Carly said has to do with just being present and creating an environment that allows for communication. I think we often tell ourselves these stories um, about what we think each other might be feeling, but the more time that we just spend together, sometimes that's quiet time, offers us then an opportunity to say things to each other because you feel comfortable being present and together. And so just cre- remembering to create those times where you're just together and being present with each other instead of running around doing all the things that we can get caught up in doing so that the communication sort of flows in the, uh, in the context of just being together. Excellent. Thank you. And um, our last light-breaking question, actually, for one of our um, online uh, caregivers, um, um, an online question. Um, my spouse was just diagnosed with renal cell cancer, so how do we tell family members around this time of year and not spoil everyone's holiday? So again, I'm going to ask, I'll probably ask everyone to weigh in on this one, but um, uh, Carly, do you want to go first? Sure. I think language is really important when you think about what you want other family members or friends to know. What are the important details that you want to share, and what do you want them to know? Um, Sharing your perspective and your mood and how you're handling all of this sort of gives them the cues to understand how to take that on and how to integrate that into how they see it. Excellent. And um, Dr. Bevins? I would just say to keep in mind that whenever someone is diagnosed with cancer, there are lots of emotions that are perfectly normal. Although they're scary sometimes, they are normal, and it's important that there's an opportunity to have that time with each other and share those feelings. Um, And... There's not always a perfect way or a right and wrong way, as Carly mentioned earlier, but just finding the right place and allowing for the natural expression that each person may have, um, that's all very normal, and allowing for that to happen is okay. Thank you. Dr. Campbell, do you want to add anything to that or to any of the other issues that have come up during the call? Yeah, I think I would just say that, you know, it's oftentimes that, you know, people are afraid that they may, as as the question came in, you know, hurt or impair someone else's enjoyment of the holidays, I think patients and their families are often very surprised with the, the support that they receive uh, from loved ones and friends when they reach out. So many people are so private and are so, um, you know, in many ways they don't want to express any sign of weakness to anyone else in their life, but oftentimes um, that's when they're greeted with, with significant warmth and support, and then they have additional people that they can look to 
for smiles and for encouragement and to maybe just share in a, in a hug or even a good cry together, those can be very therapeutic for patients. And so I, I encourage uh, patients to be honest with friends and family and just to go through the experience together as much as possible. Well, thank you so much. This has been an extraordinary call. I have to say I want to thank each of our speakers. I also want to thank all of you as participants on this call who asked such really great questions um, and also made such great comments about your experience. Um, it really enhanced the call tremendously. I want to remind all of you that this is a one-hour program and that in planning a program like this, we recognize that you have many questions that are going to go far beyond um, one hour. So I do want to remind all of you that if you should have a focus, a question that's focused on renal cell cancer, on kidney cancer, I definitely recommend that you call the National Cancer Institute. They have a, um, a, um, a call center and their information specialists always are there waiting for calls after our programs. And their number is one 800 422 6237. I'll repeat that. 1-800-422-6237. And if you have a question around getting support or practical help from Cancer Care or joining a support group or talking to one of our social workers here or participating in one of these programs, please call our helpline at Cancer Care at one 800 813-4673, and I'll repeat that, 1-800-813-4673. And you'll all be getting information, again, about those resources for all of you to utilize. Also, um, I do want to mention two programs that we have coming up that might be of interest to you. We have one, actually tomorrow, on cancer in the workplace, knowing your legal rights, and that does apply to both caregivers and people living with cancer. And so I'm thinking that might be of interest to some of you. Same time, it's from 1.30 to 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time, and it's on Thursday, December 10th. And we also have one coming up in 2016 on nutrition and healthy eating tips during and after cancer treatments, and that's on, on Monday, February 1st. Um, from 1.30 to 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time, and you'll be getting information about that program as well. But most importantly, as we conclude the program today, we don't want anyone to feel that you're alone, particularly at this time of the year, any time of the year. We want you to know that you're now connected to Cancer Care, to our community here, and that you can call our staff at any time with any of your concerns or questions about your coping with renal cell, kidney cancer, or any other type of cancer you may be confronting. I want to thank you all for your participation today. I want to wish you all a very fine holiday season, and thank you all for your participation today. We look forward to your being on other calls. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This does conclude the workshop, and you may all disconnect. Have a great day, everyone.